From Hype Beast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. Oftentimes on The Business of Hype, what's really dope is like we get to talk to these sort of OGs and legends that have really made a name for themselves in this industry and career, and they've almost are at the stage of their life where they're like riding off into the sunset. And I think a lot of what we've been hearing is young people saying, you know, who are starting out with a brand, they're like, that's great, but we can't relate to those people. We would love to hear from someone who is like sort of just starting out in in like the early stages of a brand. Um, so I'm really happy this week to have uh, this brand on board. You've been, you've been getting a lot of heat and a lot of notoriety. Um, it Appreciate seems like it. you're bubbling. Um, so please introduce yourself. Who do we have in the studio today? Uh, so my name is Luke Tadashi. I'm the founder and creative director of Bristol Studio. And then in the studio as well today, but not speaking, is Masai and Jake, who helped me run the brand. Yes, they're, they're off mic. Uh, we don't have enough budget for four microphones, so like <laughs> they're sitting off on the side. Um, <laughs> we're going to get there, though. One day we're going to have a mic for everyone. Um, so cool. So tell me a little bit about... Um, your, I like to ask this question sometimes, like, what is your elevator pitch of what Bristol Studio is? In an, like, we're in an elevator, tell me about your brand, go. <laughs> Man. Well, honestly, it's funny that you just kind of introduced me as this, you know, young guy who's still like kind of just figuring it all out. But, so I think the elevator pitch is something I'm very much still working on, <laughs> but this is a good place to perfect it. So, <laughs> um, I would say that, you know, on the one hand, from a design standpoint, a lot of what I like to do is take garments that were really influential to me as a kid, specifically around basketball, because that was my sort of connection to the culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, track suits, hoodies, sweats, big white tees, these things that I sort of just, you know, wore and admired growing up. Mm-hmm. And I like to deconstruct them and reimagine them in new ways that I feel like have not quite been done. So for example, like just this t-shirt that I'm wearing, a lot of the seams are inverted Mm -hmm. um, to show kind of like a deconstructed feel. It's fully reversible. So the screen print is on the front and Mm -hmm. on the inside to kind of reference like practice basketball Mm -hmm. jerseys growing up. And then further on that note, the labels are actually on the outside. So as you can see, there's as you can see, there's a huge label on the outside, right. which is sort of like a Meant reference. to be worn outside. Exactly. Yeah. Which like as kids, you know, we would all flip our t-shirts inside yep. out and like, yep. show the size, whatever, you know, white tee you were wearing. Yeah. So. It's interesting how now um, the look that's inspired from sort of like oversized, like let's call it like gym wear for sure, is now becoming like high fashion. Like it, it's funny how those two worlds have merged together. Yeah, it really is. And I think, um, you know, that's actually... Not, not to jump the gun, but I think that initially that's what Adidas recognized in our brand was mm-hmm. like, you know, they thought that we were kind of interpreting this era in a really elevated way that maybe other people weren't quite yet tapping into. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely something that inspires us. But furthermore, on, on just me, I guess, is like, you know, the brand definitely revolves around basketball and to understand that I think I need to just explain my personal connection to the game because otherwise people are kind of like oh that's cool it's inspired by basketball but like then what you know so for me growing up it actually starts from the time I was just like a really young kid Mm -hmm. Um, I I remember watching my dad watch Michael Jordan like playoff games in the mid 90s yeah where were Um, you where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I was born in Los Angeles I'm born in 92 so I'm 26 years old so Mm -hmm. 
definitely, as you were saying, still on the young side of all mm-hmm. of this. But I, I fully remember Jordan, Pippen, especially Kobe. Kobe was the one that was most influential to me because yeah. literally his entire career spanned my lifetime, essentially. Yeah. Like I grew up with him. Totally. And as a kid in Los Angeles, he was like, he was God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, and then he, you played as well, right? Yes, I did. So, so, so early on, mm-hmm. I guess I'd say when, you know, I was even three or four years old when my brother was born is the first time I really remember my connection to the game, like forming, because, you know, as a four year old, even in your, your brother being born, your parents kind of, their attention has to go to this newborn, which is completely understandable. But as a needy child, me, I was kind of like looking for comfort elsewhere Mm -hmm. and immediately like I picked up a basketball and that's where I found it. Like there was something so calming and peaceful about just like putting a, the action of putting a ball through a hoop mm-hmm. and like it was so simple but it brought me so much joy and, yeah. and peace right, yeah right. um so on the deepest level i think that's like where my connection to the game started mm-hmm. it's the place is the place i go to for comfort and for solace yeah to this yeah. day still definitely to this day okay i play probably three times a week still mm-hmm. um actually real bummer but our our men's league team just lost in the finals yesterday <laughs> last night i wasn't there if i was there we obviously would have won right of course <laughs> yeah they're missing their star yeah, no, did you ever play in high school or college i did or anything? So okay. i played in i played in high school and i actually played into college as well okay. um very small d3 school uh-huh. but it was my dream to like take it to that level and, and be able to play but actually quickly after my freshman year, I realized this just wasn't the route for me. I wasn't going to go to the NBA or anything. Mm-hmm. So I decided to take a step back. And at that point um, was sort of when I started thinking about Bristol. It wasn't Bristol at that point, but it was like what what I wanted to do next. Because yeah. my whole life up to that point had been basketball was this thing that gave me structure, that mm-hmm. gave me purpose and meaning and all of these things. And that was that was gone all of a sudden. It was like the rug was taken out from under me. So in trying to figure that out, you know, I kind of realized that next to basketball the whole time was this design culture that Mm -hmm. I was really interested in. And the way that I even found that was through sneaker culture. Okay. So it and that was so connected to basketball and to the NBA and, and, you know, Jordans and Nikes Mm -hmm. and Adidas and all of these things that I grew up sort of, um, imbuing with meaning because they're the things that you see on the court and yeah. you're, you know, you put on these shoes and you think, Oh, maybe I'll be able to play like Mike or, you know, right. I'll play like Kobe or whatever. So yeah. for me, that was the transition into design was like, it was almost an attempt to stay close to the game. Right. It's funny how like back in the day, I think like if you were a really good athlete, you were a jock, right? And you didn't, if you were like an totally. artistic person, then you were like an art freak and there wasn't any sort of like hybridization no, there. No, there wasn't. But like you being sort of really into sport, but then right next to you on your other pocket was like this art and design sort of eye. Yeah. That's and, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I appreciate you saying that because I think even as a kid, when I was growing up, they were totally separate things. It was like you said, yeah. you're either a jock or you're an artist yeah. and like there's no middle ground. Mm-hmm. But for me, I always, I, I really just saw them as like one and the same in a way. And okay. I felt like some of my most creative moments ever were on a basketball court, mm-hmm. like just dribbling and trying to figure out a way to get past my defender and then get past the second guy and like score, you know? Yeah, yeah. And to be able to think on the fly like that just requires you to tap into a creativity unlike For any sure. other. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It's and an art form. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Or even watching, you know, I'll, I'll mention Kobe again, but watching the way he plays, the, the amount of work he's put into his footwork and mm-hmm. the thought and the practice it's like a dancer, yeah, you know, exactly. it, it fully, it's grace, it's grace, it's poetry in motion. Yeah, 
from a fashion standpoint though other than like your gym attire what were you into from a like what brands were you into back in the day man early early on it was definitely it was jordan for sure it was uh-huh. like the 13s were the first sneaker that my mom got me i remember i was probably when they came out i must have been five or six or yeah. whatever um but those were really meaningful and then right after that it became adidas because kobe was an adidas athlete at yeah. the time so you got those weird Audi Adidas Kobe's, yep. <laughs> those Kobe tanks, ones. which to any, I think to anybody who wasn't sort of like in a, growing up in LA and of the age of like 10 to 18 or whatever, mm. they're probably the weirdest shoe of all yeah, time, yeah. but there's such a deep nostalgia and, and love for those for me because they just, they, they just meant so much. Yeah, it, yeah. it was, it was Kobe wrapped in a product and it was actually the first thing I think that got me thinking about just the power of a product, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and like, wow, these things have meaning beyond just like a shelf life. And like yeah. a couple of times you wear them, it was like, I really made me feel closer to, to the player on mm-hmm. the court. Yeah. yeah. How about attire? What were you wearing? Like clothing? Were yeah, you just I was, full of like full Jordan sweatsuits? No, I definitely, so it, there's different stages, I think. Right. So, I mean, an, as a young kid, it was all just basketball shorts and whatever, whatever was brought me closest to the game. And then growing up from there, I kind of you know, actually through the pages of like Slam Magazine and Kicks Magazine, all these things, which were my connection to the culture, got into like Sean John and like mm-hmm. these more, I guess at the time, which were like urban brands, yeah. but really like in a way were, you know, the beginnings of streetwear. Exactly. Definitely. Yep. Um, so it started in that direction. I guess like mm-hmm. Levi's, like 501s were, were a big uh-huh. thing, like the raw 501s were yeah. super cool. I remember them. Um, I remember I had a pair of Air Force Ones, which like nobody at the time was really wearing. <laughs> it was like, it's kind of like if you were wearing them, it was like you were maybe a gangbanger or something. You know, yeah, like yeah. it wasn't what it is today where you see girls on the street just walking down. And I know. It's a total but lifestyle. Now. I remember those those 501s, the Indigo, just rubbing all off on my on my white, crisp white Air Force Ones and being so pissed. But <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah. you, uh, are you of partial Japanese descent? Yeah, I am. Okay. Tadashi so, is very Japanese. Yeah, yeah. it is. It's, so it's actually my grandfather's name. I'm, okay. I'm named after him. Um, so Luke Tadashi was his name. Okay. Um, but yeah, and it, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that, that sort of my background plays a big part in my inspiration as mm-hmm. well for the brand. And a lot of the design elements that I'm inspired by are rooted in Japanese design. So like this idea of deconstruction, avant-garde, mm-hmm. all of these things that, you know, I sort of actually like as a kid first discovered through the, the pages of hype beast online mm-hmm. and stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I was exposed to Comb and some of these other like right. really influential Japanese yeah. brands. Have you um, have you been to Japan? So yeah, so I have been to Japan. Do you go like very often? Um, I I probably go every year, or every other year. So I okay, still have cool. family back there. Okay. So my aunt, who I'm really close to, and um, my uncle are still there. Mm-hmm. And every time I go, it's just I I I just find so much inspiration for sure. And yeah. I think like. The thoughtfulness is the thing that jumps out to me about the design mm-hmm. over there. And that's something that I like fully try to incorporate in everything that we do. And I think like just just a quick example. Last time I was there, I was staying in this like really tiny hotel with my girlfriend. It was like not a nice hotel. It was like a, it was like, a, you know, I don't know, like $90 a night or yeah. whatever. But it, was, it did the trick. It was like you could sleep there. 
but I remember even just like the, the bathroom so tiny, you, you, you turn on the hot water and like the whole place steams up and you get out of the shower and there's just like this perfect circle in the mirror that like isn't fogged up. Yeah. Where it's like, like heated. Yeah. yeah, yeah it yeah. like doesn't absorb the fog and whatever, it, it, you know, it reacts differently. And so even just that, which has nothing to do with clothes, but just like the thoughtfulness behind mm-hmm. like that industrial design, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing and it's inspirational. Yeah. Is your, uh, is your dad Japanese or mom? My mom is. Okay, so actually cool. Tadashi is my middle name. That's mm-hmm. where, it, you know, I, I, but I took his name because the other part of this story is, um, in addition to basketball growing up, my grandfather, my grandmother lived. So, uh, my grandfather's wife, mm-hmm. my grandmother lived in the house with us mm-hmm. and, you know, having her presence around was just, she was, in addition to my mom, she shaped me just as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I, so she died maybe three or four years ago. And when she died, I was really trying to figure out sort of for myself, like, you know, who this woman was beyond just who I knew. Yeah. Um, and I actually stumbled upon this, uh, autobiography that my grandfather had written because he came to America post-World War II. Mm -hmm. Um, He was like one of the few Japanese people that somehow was able to get over here and then through this whole crazy story, which I don't even know if we have time to get into, but was able to bring his family over here. Uh Um, So that's how my mom's side of the family landed over here. But that, um, that, that, uh, that autobiography actually inspired one of my first collections. Oh, cool. Uh, one of the collections that Adidas saw and actually like really cemented this, you know, this partnership mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and it was, it was really like the fusion of his story with my story and then my inspiration and love for sports, obviously. Yeah. And do you speak Japanese? So I don't anymore. Uh-huh. Chotto. <laughs> okay. Um, but from the eight, from kindergarten to fourth grade, I went to Japanese immersion school. Mm-hmm. So six six hours a day it was Japanese. So I was pretty fluent in it. And then for whatever reason, my mom took me out, switched me to a normal school, and it all went out the window. But yeah, but you got to yeah, get it back. And then when I you do. go to Japan, you're like, when I go back to Japan, it comes back a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like I definitely, I definitely can hear things and understand, but the speaking part of it's a little more challenging. Yeah, but yeah. I I always um advise any creative that like they have to go to Tokyo if they, if they don't 100%. go to Japan, they're just missing out on like half yeah. the recipe you know what yeah I mean? totally you're, yeah you're like narrowing your world yeah <laughs> yeah is. exactly it doesn't matter what creative field you're in that first collection album drop or piece it is a culmination of your life up until that point it's the representation of your foundation and all the perspective that you've gained All of that history plays so much into what you create, and it happens whether directly or indirectly. I remember Jay-Z talking about how his first album, Reasonable Doubt, was 26 years of his life wrapped into 14 tracks. And when you look at Bristol Studios and hear about Luke's young life, it does make total sense. It goes beyond color or fabric swaps or prints on blanks. Without exaggeration, Ball was life for him. So there needed to be a true, authentic perspective when designing something revolving around the sport. He did a deep look into his own family's heritage and story, and he recognized the notion of considered design from his Japanese roots. These are all inspirations that helped Luke approach the Bristol studio business. The key to having a successful start to a brand 
it's focus. There is so much in our lives we experience and can pull from, but the brands, designers, and products that often stick out are the ones with a crystal clear focus. Think about what inspirations will help drive what you are creating and consider what makes sense now versus in the next year and well into the future. So tell me um, what you were doing before you conceived of Bristol. So like I was, like I said, you know, I, I was playing basketball in college for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just finished that and I, or I had just quit and I, and I dropped out actually of the school that I was going to, this okay. tiny school in the Midwest. And I was, I was really depressed and trying uh-huh. to figure out what was next, honestly. Yeah. You were like lost at, for a time, right? 100%. I, I went to community college back home because <laughs> there was definitely pressure for my parents to like figure out yeah. some type of career path. Um, and it was just like, you know, if you have the opportunity, you go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, like you said, I was lost. Um, I ended up, I had pretty, I had good enough grades where I could get into a school. So I, so I ended up applying to NYU and I mm-hmm. got in and again in New York, I think I went through the same period where I was just, I was kind of lost, like trying to figure out what I was doing. Um, I had just moved in with my girlfriend at the time, which at that age was like, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, Your girlfriend was also went to NYU or yeah, she, she okay. did. She did. And we're still together today. Oh, cool. But, but at the time it was like, it was, so I, the challenge of navigating that plus just being in a new city, mm-hmm. I think furthered my sense of just what am I, what am I doing? Yeah. And I wasn't particularly inspired by school mm-hmm. at that time. And so you know, I think, as I mentioned before, it was kind of like, how do I stay close to the game of basketball in a way that sort of I'm inspired by? Mm -hmm. And that was, that was sneakers, that was fashion, that was clothing. Um, And so that is what initially got my head sort of turning in that direction of like, you know, what would this look like if I started something? Mm -hmm. Um, And that something was already in your head, like a clothing brand? Actually, this is going to sound crazy, but it was, it was a pair of jeans. Like I was obsessed with raw denim at the time. Uh Um, In high school, I like, again, like sort of just through, through sneaker culture, I found higher fashion, more refined design or whatever. And I found like APC was one of the first Mm -hmm. brands that I kind of just really resonated with me. Uh And the story around their denim that they tell, I think is, is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this idea that you take this garment, this, these raw denim jeans that you kind of like now they're everywhere, but you can't, you, at the time you couldn't really find them in the U S Yeah, you wear them and they sort of mold and shape to your body over Mm -hmm. time. And they tell a unique story and they become a one of one piece. And that, that sense of customization and personalization like really spoke to me. So I was like, man, how do I, how do they do that first? So I kind of went down this road of just, there's just like, can I create something Mm -hmm. that solid yeah yeah the answer is i couldn't (laughs) (laughs) but you tried you looked but i tried yeah Yeah. and that's but that's what ultimately got me going to creating bristol studio okay yeah and you had a partner at the time or like a friend helping you yeah i had a friend at the time um he uh, he was in la i Mm -hmm. was in new york we were kind of bouncing ideas back and forth Mm -hmm. and just trying to figure out like how do we make a pair of jeans that are that perfect okay Um, did you ever together make anything yeah, we 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 definitely did. What'd you make? I, I laugh because I would never want those designs to see the light of day. <laughs> were they jeans or were they denim? Yeah, or? they were denim. Oh wow! So you made a pair of jeans. We did, we did, and it, I mean it wasn't that. We actually probably made like ten pairs of jeans mm-hmm. and just gave them to really close friends. Yeah, um, and people, I don't know if they were just really good friends or they were genuine, but 
they like them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so that was encouragement enough to be like, all right, well, maybe let's try our hand at something else. Right. Yeah. And at this time, did you formalize a company yet? Like, did no. you actually? No. No. I'm trying to remember exactly when that happened. Um, so you're, wait, so you're making product with your friend who's in LA. You're in yeah. New York. You name, you decide we're going to call it Bristol. Yeah, it came what? from the street that I grew up on. So it was okay. like, it just felt very personal. And, was and like, it was Bristol right. Studio or something else? So when we were doing the jeans, it was Bristol Cut and Sewn, which okay. was sort of like, I don't know what we were doing, but it was like tapping into this, you know, this like heritage denim idea. And I yeah. it was like really popular at the time and that I was yeah, also yeah. really, really inspired by. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I, you know, I quickly realized like there's a difference between being inspired by like a singular product and being able to tell your story through product, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. And so I started, th- you know, like I, I love these jeans, but I don't, I don't know how much they speak to my story and I don't mm-hmm. know how, how much, how, how I can get behind just like continually selling these, you yeah, know, yeah. there's only, and to me, there was only so much I could do at that time with denim. Cause right. I didn't really understand all the possibilities. Mm-hmm. But, but at that point, did you like open a bank account under Bristol? Did you like try came, to trademark? Yeah, no, that came like, that probably came like a year later. Oh, cool. Yeah. But definitely still at like the tinkering stages yeah. kind of. Because a lot um, of people are worried that like there's a lot of investment and work that goes into setting up all that stuff, that structure. There is. But if you're not making a lot of money, is it worthwhile to set it up? Yeah. So what was, what point were you like? No, now is the time to really like double down on this and like get a checking account, get a business account. I was so naive, man. I had so from from working in college, I'd save five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and I was like, whatever, I'm gonna put it all down on me. Okay, and um, my partner had done the same thing at the time, and so did, he did the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So that was what that was what got us. So you both started. kicked in five k. Yeah, that was, and that was to make the jeans. I honestly think to open a bank account, I uh-huh. forgot what the number was you needed, but you needed yeah, something you need a at minimum the time to that was in. like, it, was, it felt very high to us, whatever it was. <laughs> it was like, well, shit, like just to open and this, actually we need to put in everything we have almost. Right. And actually, if your average balance falls below that number, they yeah, start they penalizing. You, yeah. <laughs> so it's a scary no, ass number. Man, yeah. I remember all of that. Um, <laughs> okay. So you use the 10K and then like, what was the item that you expanded on beyond denim? The first item? Um, it was probably the t-shirts and sweats actually that you see us all wearing today. That was, but it wasn't exactly in this iteration, Mm -hmm. I would say yet. It took, it took many tries to get to where we are today. And the t-shirt, did you ever do like just a straight, like bought blank or were you cut and sewing your t-shirts from the start? From the beginning, I... I was that kid, like even the story I was telling earlier about like the indigo rubbing off on the Air Force ones, like Mm -hmm. I was always really attentive to details like that Mm -hmm. and to especially fit in proportions and silhouettes. And I was never a graphics person. Like that wasn't what spoke to me. It Mm -hmm. was always about those things that I mentioned, plus like fabric, tactile, like feeling. Um, And so from the beginning, I knew like, I had other friends who were printing on blanks and whatever, and I, and I like. There's no disrespect to that at all. I think that's super cool, and and there's plenty creativity you can you can mm-hmm. put into that. But for me and what I was interested in, I was like, man, I gotta cut and sew this from scratch. And so, yeah, you know, that was more money. That was like a whole nother thing to figure out mm-hmm. too, because you kind of unless you have a real background, you have someone guiding you, you're gonna fuck up. Yeah, you're you're just it's gonna happen. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it, it reminds me of the Jerry Lorenzo story that we talked about where Jerry was like, 
I'm I'm not the color up graphic up guy. Like yeah, it's just not sure. me. So it's interesting that you say like you had no real desire to just like buy a blank tee and put a graphic on it. Yeah, definitely. And um yeah, that's that story for sure resonates with me. I think that in this I, I kind of view or maybe maybe our our initial steps into design were similar in the sense that we are like, I'm, I'm definitely an outsider too. like mm-hmm. my, my family's not in this business. None of my friends were like big figureheads in this or whatever. And so, you know, I knew what looked good to yeah. me and I knew how to style things. And I mm-hmm. understood the way like certain pants draped right. on a sneaker. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, those same things for sure, but okay. did not have the background at the time to execute that. That mm-hmm. took time. Do you remember the first time you sold a piece of clothing to somebody that like wasn't a homie, wasn't a family member? Like, was it a store? Was it an e-com order? Like, when was the first time someone bought your shit? Um, man, the first time. I mean, this is, I don't even know if this counts, but I remember. <laughs> if it's money, it counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's kind of family. So, okay. so I, um, I'm really close to my cousin and mm-hmm. he was like, everybody else in my family was like, like kind of like okay what are you doing like Mm -hmm. go go do something real you know yeah and my cousin was just he doesn't really know about like he'll be the first person to tell you he knows nothing about fashion Mm -hmm. he doesn't his stuff doesn't speak to him or whatever but he he loved me and he loved that he loved my passion Uh and i was really doing something that i cared about and that i and that i bet on myself and that i believed in it and so i remember he came into my bedroom at my parents house at the time and I just kind of had my, my rack out mm-hmm. and there was probably like three or four pieces. And he was like, I'll take them all. Mm-hmm. And baller. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was like, he's like, he's like, I'm paying full price uh-huh. like, to, you know, um, that feeling is amazing. right? It was like, amazing. <laughs> and I mean, just the fact that I remember it to this day yeah. and, you know, he's still one of my closest friends uh-huh. and uh, someone that I definitely count on to this day. So. Yeah, that that feeling was incredible. Was your was your sales approach out the gate to be like no wholesale, or you were down to get wholesale, or was it like so? Initially, only? we were down to get wholesale. Okay. Um, did you get wholesale? I think <laughs> we were down. What yeah, did you get? <laughs> initially, out the gate, we didn't do so bad. So I think for our first season, we ended up selling to like ten stores, okay. and even we had more offers than like we would. This this was so. This was so long ago now that like, you know, like trade shows like Capsule were still relevant. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did you show it? Did you show it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you showed at Capsule. This would have been like 2016 or something. Um, And even then, I think it was kind of winding down a little bit. But, you know, we had about 20 people who wanted to write orders. Some of them were just like crackpot stores Mm -hmm. that like I had never heard of. Yeah. and I knew that that sort of the way I wanted the brand to per- be perceived was through this more elevated design mm-hmm. lens. So I, I immediately canceled out a good chunk of those. Okay. Um, but yeah, we ended up selling to about ten stores. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the like the the better ones that I remember were like American Rag uh-huh. um, in L.A., which yeah. is still one of my you know as a kid especially mm-hmm. it was like one of the the coolest stores in L.A. is right next to Union too. Yeah. So that was awesome. Um, and so they when gave you, us a window display, which was wow. like, the, that was the, <laughs> that must've been such validation that like yeah, no, your it, favorite hometown store. It was, it was a good feeling. I think, you know, it's funny. I talk about this all the time, but at every stage throughout it, I like in, in the moment I was just so stressed. I was like, I was like, how are we going to make this the best window ever? Mm-hmm. You know, that it kind of was a little difficult for me to stop and just be like, 
this is amazing that this is happening. Mm-hmm. So really having, appreciate yeah, the moment, right? But in having conversations like this, I think, you know, one of the great things that come of it for me is like just hearing you pause on that and be like, mm-hmm. you know, appreciate that. Yeah. It's, no, there's a moment it's, like it's when great. you're, you know, I, I remember the capsule booths was like, you got like a rack and a half of clothes mm-hmm. and it, trade shows just suck because you're yeah. basically standing there like a puppy in a pet store, hoping somebody comes into your booth. It's the most exhausting it's thing It's the most exhausting. You just stand there and you're just like, you know, I, I see when I go to Amsterdam and I see like the hookers in the window, mm-hmm. like trying to get you to come in. That's basically what a fucking <laughs> Yo, trade show is, right? That's the best analogy. Yeah, you're just like, hey, come on, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and like they come in and then like they rifle through, you know, some brands, you know, they do like the whole rifle yeah. through the clothes and then they walk out and you're just like, great. I just spent eight months of my life on that. Right. And you just so like defeated. spent three seconds on it. That happened a lot to me. Yeah, of a course. It, it always does. But then when like, you know, that, that American rag moment happens. Yeah. And it's it's hard for you to appreciate it because at that moment, your heart is probably like at 300 beats of a second. You're yeah. just like, oh shit, it's American rag. If yeah. their business card, you know, don't fuck this up, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's you got to be really be reflective on those on those positive moments. No, like I said, I I actually really appreciate you bringing that up because I hadn't <laughs> thought about that in years. And like you know, thinking about it now, it's kind of like wow, like that really was something that I was working really hard towards making happen, yeah. and it happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely so important to stop and and yeah. just recognize that when it when it does. Was uh, was ecom happening right at the same time? Like you opened an ecom shop. No, so initially we were like really trying to be on season. Okay. Um, and so Interesting. Yeah, and I was trying to figure that whole game out. And again, as an outsider, like I didn't understand how that worked, and I still <laughs> kind of don't to be okay. honest. But so I was trying to keep up with the seasons and it was weird like we would, you know, I would produce stuff to hit the deadlines of the wholesale accounts, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, I would be like on our Instagram trying to like tease what we were doing. <laughs> and then by the time it released, it was like, yo, we've seen this like six months. For six ago. months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is the whole problem with direct to Yeah. No, consumer, I learned first. Yeah. And like that's, following the season. Like totally. And it's funny that you even in 2016, like you were still trying to achieve being on calendar, yeah. is what it's called. Uh, whereas now brands who start are just like, fuck the whole calendar. We're just going to drop it they whenever should. Yeah. we want. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, and, and that's how we do it now too. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you've sort of said, forget the calendar. Yeah. No, after that first season, it was, it was a learning process mm-hmm. and it was, it was really learnings. And I, I just felt like it took the excitement out of the product. Like the, it was hard to tell the stories that I wanted to tell through it. Yeah. The last collection after that that we tried to do that was on season mm-hmm. was this collection that I mentioned was inspired by my grandfather's story yeah. and fused that with my love of sportswear and, and whatever. And I just, I remember putting everything I had into that collection mm-hmm. and we didn't do it. We didn't do a trade show or anything, but at that point I had, I had kind of met enough people in the industry where I knew like I could get appointments if I like really pushed and whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, you know forget just like the six months that it took to get the appointments but i was like (laughs) knocking on doors like sending you know a hundred emails a day that just nobody's responding to but in the end i finally got like maybe it was like 15 appointments or something and they were pretty good accounts like Mm -hmm. accounts that i was that i was chasing and i remember just putting out the collection actually in my girlfriend's parents apartment here in new york Mm because they're godsends and they let me use that space (laughs) and these people would come in, they'd be like confused that they were in someone's apartment. So that immediately threw off the vibe. 
and then, you know, I'd go into this whole story about how I was inspired by this autobiography of his that I found and how it just like, it really spoke to me. I think that there's words sometimes that across time and place, just they resonate in Mm -hmm. there. And for me, it was like, I I saw parts of myself in him. I was like, oh, that's why I am the way I am. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, he he thinks the same. I'd never met him, mind you, too. Like Mm -hmm. he died before I was born. Um, So I was just really touched and inspired by that. And at the same time, as I said too, like my, my grandmother had died recently. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like the most personal thing I had, mm-hmm. I had ever done. And I was like, I'm pouring my heart into this. I told them the whole story and literally like a buyer after buyer was just like, yeah, like it's cool. Like, you know, we got a lot of like, so how many followers like, are, where are you guys at on Instagram? <laughs> after you tell this heartfelt yeah. story. It's like, and, and for me, that was the moment where beyond just feeling absolutely defeated, I was yeah. just like, we're not the you know, we're not doing wholesale like one i don't <laughs> want to engage in business with these people <laughs> right and that's probably a bad way to approach it but that's how i felt i was so i was so hurt in yeah. the moment honestly that i was I just like you know i'm going to do it i'm going to i'm and and then i was like instead of just like folding it all like i'm going to like as a point to prove it to these people, like I'm going to put it on my shoulders mm-hmm. and like, I'm going to make this happen my way. And that was when it was just like, let's do direct to consumer. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if we do wholesale, which we do it very slightly, yeah. the only way we're doing that is if it's completely 100% on our terms mm-hmm. and we have a full installation, we have a platform to tell our story in the way that I want to tell the story. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we have a budget to throw a party or an event to really yeah, yeah. bring people in. Right. Our people. <laughs> This has been an ongoing conversation in the apparel industry for some time now. The wholesale system is such a mixed topic. It makes sense for some, but others are finding problems with it, whether it's logistics, liability costs, and even creative control. The connection you build with an account is critical. Yes, there is a bottom line you have to take care of, but I can sympathize with Luke's gripes. I will never personally forget that feeling. I worked seven to nine months on something, only for some guy to just rifle through the entire collection in 30 seconds. It's gut-wrenching. If you've experienced a taste of that, you're going to want to find a different route, trust me. The same thing happens when a store is displaying your brand in a way that just doesn't make sense to you, the creator. It's natural that you're going to want to do something and take it over yourself. When you're in the position for choosing how to distribute, think about what makes the most sense for you and research, research, research. In Luke's case, some retailers made perfect sense, like how much of a personal win it was having his collection at American Rag. But direct-to-consumer allowed him to control almost all facets of his brand. The industry is shifting. We're all changing how we consume absolutely everything. So as a brand owner we need to learn to adapt or even rethink how things are done. And back then, was it by yourself? You were like doing it all yourself? Yeah. Well, actually, Masai was there too at that time. At the apartment? Yep, at the apartment. Um, So he witnessed all of this. He sort of witnessed (laughs) me like me crumbling as as all this was going on. But the, I mean, the good thing that came out of that was Adidas saw the images of that and was like, yo, this is really dope. Okay. They they didn't come to the apartment. They just saw the the output of it. The lookbook, I actually had uh, tagged them on Instagram because I styled some of the the looks with Adidas sneakers. And yeah. And... One of the guys at Which State. Which shoes? 
Crazy. Moon wow. shoes. The yeah. Audi ones. You, you you got like vintage pairs of those. Yeah, yeah. That's dope. It's in our studio still. Wow. Yeah. And so someone from Statement Collabs uh-huh. at Adidas saw that and was like, yo, you're interpreting our brand in such like a cool way. Like we haven't seen this done before. Uh-huh. And so that... That for me was the validation that was like, I actually was on the verge of being like, man, dude, like, is this right for me? Like, like everybody's saying no to me. And then for that to happen was like, okay, maybe I can keep going. Uh-huh. It was like a little injection. Little, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such an amazing world now where literally like, if you decided to not tag Adidas on that post, Totally. Like there might not have been a collab. Like yeah. it's like now you just have to tag a brand and like kids are always like, how do I get so-and-so brand to notice me? I'm like, bro, I have to do is fucking tag them. And DM eventually, them. yeah, they'll either they'll be annoyed at you and they'll block you. Or if you are good, they're going to notice you and reach out. 100%. And I mean. What, it, what, it happened in the DM? Yeah, he DM'd us. <laughs> he amazing. DM'd us. Wait, Adidas Originals DM'd you? No, no, no. The no. Guy? A guy from Statement okay. DM'd okay. us. Um, I actually still remember his name is uh, Jimmy Manley. Oh, I know Jimmy Manley. Yeah. Dope. <laughs> so that was when he, I think he's at Reebok now. But I think he's at Converse now? Oh, Converse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. correct, correct. But so yeah. did you do like, <laughs> I can imagine when you got the DM, did you have to do a little like LinkedIn background research to make sure like, is this guy fucking with me yeah, here? Yeah, there definitely was <laughs> that moment. There definitely was that moment. It was uh-huh. just like. Then it was like, oh shit, no, he's he's real. <laughs> and then, do you recall how that first meeting went? Yeah, I actually the first time I met him was in New York. Um, they used, I don't, I think they still do it, but at the time they did uh, New York Men's Day, um, mm-hmm. which was like sort of a platform that New York Fashion Week was in the CFDA was yep. giving to young designers yep. to just sort of they would subsidize like a show presentation for you. Um, and so we had gotten that as well Mm -hmm. and we showed there and i invited him okay um because his team was in new york and they're just like yeah this this is cool like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like keep going like let's uh you know there was no talks about a collaboration at that point or anything it was just praise it was just yeah Yeah. and it was like i remember them being kind of like yeah you know if you want sneakers for your for your presentation like let us know like Mm -hmm. we'll hook that up like whatever so I was like, oh, that's really nice of them. Like, <laughs> you know, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I actually met in person. Nice. And from the time, I don't know if you remember this, but from the time they DM'd you yeah. to the time you met to the time you finally said, we're doing a collaboration, sign this paper. How oh, long man. was that whole process? It was from the time that they DM'd me to the time we signed the papers. It was about a year, I would say. Okay. Just to, and and like that was just to sign the papers. Like that was like <laughs> you didn't even start. No. Yeah. We, well, actually, we were st- we, we <laughs> kind of had st- we, well the timetable was so short because what they saw in us was this interpretation of these Kobe Bryant silhouettes mm-hmm. um, that they thought was really cool and they were they were sort of revitalizing this Kobe line, the, mm-hmm. the crazy BYW, yes. which is out now today. And that's the sneaker that we collaborate with mm-hmm. them on. But uh, so they were trying to like kind of uh, push us forward to hit those those schedules, you yeah. know, those production deadlines. Those Without work. a signed thing yet. Yeah, just, yeah, but it all worked out. Right, so. right. Um, I think that's another thing is like kids have to realize that it from the time they slid into your DM to the time 
you even just saw a contract was a year. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, and let me ask you this. There's a lot of design when, work that I did in between then, too, yeah. which I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. But let me ask you this. I bet, I'm willing to bet that when you replied to him in the DM, you, were, you did not say the word collaboration. Oh, no, not at all. But a hundred kids would have been like, yo, can we do a collab, like, right off the bat? And I think you have to, there has to be a certain level of, like, I don't want, I don't know if it's suaveness or, like, just you have to know how to Completely. act. You got to know how to act. Completely. And I think that's something that as a team with the guys in the room that we talk about all the time is like, we, you know, and we've been on the other end of it too, where people just approach you and immediately ask for something. Mm -hmm. And I think as a young designer, it's so hard because on the one hand, you're so excited and you're so, you know, you believe in yourself enough to be doing this. Mm -hmm. So you have to have some persistence and some ambition. And then at the same time, you have to be so patient because that's like what actually will get it done, you know, and not kind of coming at people with this angle of like, I need this now, you know. And you have to realize that if you're in this case, Jimmy's position, like how many other collaborative opportunities he has at his disposal like just because you are the most thirsty doesn't mean you're going to get it. One hundred percent. And that I think there's there's cases where like you know it helps you to assert yourself yes. or whatever for sure. Aggression, you know, being yeah. aggressive about yeah. it. Yeah, I, yeah, completely. And then there's moments where you do kind of have to let you know. I'll use a basketball analogy, but just let the game come to you. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's definitely a perfect. Example. And is in this case, is that what happened? Like. One of you had to eventually say, we should do something together. So actually, so the crazy part is, is that um, at this point, Jimmy left the company. But uh-huh. so this is before I signed my, this was probably, he DM'd us in like November and then he left in like February or something. Okay. And so I was like, well, <laughs> well there they <laughs> there's that link. But I met his team uh-huh. um, in New York at the, at the fashion show that I had mentioned. And... Um, so we had their contacts and we were kind of communicating with them okay. a little bit. But there was definitely this whole period in there where I even wanted to ask, like, should we, should we do this? Should we, should we collab or whatever? But because he had just left the company, I was like, shit, like my chance is gone now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, they, so the, the they, people the team he brought passed, it up. passed me off to took great care of me. Nice. And they're still like, you know, those are still my people there. So. Cool. All right. Um, so how many seasons have you done and are you doing in total with Adidas? So, so far we've done two seasons. We have another season coming, Mm -hmm. um, this fall, winter 19. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's actually going to be really big. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Not that the last two weren't big because those were really exciting. We got, um, you know, the rapper buddy to model mm-hmm. the fall winter 18 collab, which was really exciting. Cause just as a fan of his music yeah. and, um, you know, a kid from LA to just sort of see the sound that he's creating. It was like, I knew when we had the opportunity and we had like a proper budget, it was like, he was one of the guys that mm-hmm. I wanted to, <laughs> right, to right. get in our stuff. So, but, but yeah, fall winter 19 is going to be really big for us. And I think a, a big part of that is really bringing the basketball narrative to life. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is sort of, you know, giving people the place and the platform to actually be able to experience the game in the way that I do. So like come and play pickup with us, mm-hmm. but also incorporate product in a way that's interesting and that I feel like hasn't quite been done before. So yeah. that's kind of all I want to say on that, but right. cool. it's, uh, but it's going to be cool. It's cool. going to be big. Yeah. When, um, 
when Adidas approached you and like sort of it got to the contractual portion of it, yeah. Did you already have experience in how to read a contract and the terms and how to negotiate this deal? None. <laughs> so you just went in like so blind they, as a bat. Not quite. They okay. sent me the contract and the first thing I did was I I took it to my dad who's like <laughs> you know Is he a lawyer? No, he's not. He's not. He he works But he's an adult. <laughs> yeah, he's an adult and he's someone that I feel like my whole life is like, "All right, you're a capable adult." Like, you know, I look to you for answers. So, we sat down at, at our kitchen table and we went like clause by clause or whatever. Hold on, I got to hear what dad thought of an Adidas contract on the kitchen table. Like, was he like, he, "Oh, he, he You're was, doing something for real? No, now? he was like, you need a lawyer. I don't know what I'm talking to you about. <laughs> he must have been shocked that this little pet project you had was finally like... Yeah, that was the thing that I, I've talked about this before with people, but that was the check mark mm-hmm. in my parents' eyes where mm-hmm. it was like... Not the check mark, the three-stripe mark. The three-stripe <laughs> Boom. <laughs> no, but after... After school, when I was kind of just like tinkering with the beginnings of what became Bristol Studio, I remember like sort of talking to adults who were friends with my parents and being like, what do you do? And mm-hmm. being like, oh, I'm a designer. Mm-hmm. You know, I run a brand. Yeah. And I remember always just feeling a sense of like, it, like do I even have a right to say that? Like embarrassment. Like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like. Am I? And my parents kind of being like, are you? I'm, yo, <laughs> I'm still embarrassed to say that word. Like, I'm like, I'm designer. I yeah. Think. I hate that. I, yeah. Because then they're like, oh, you mean like Tommy Hilfiger? Like, yeah. like whatever name they know. Completely. I'm like, no, not like Tommy Hilfiger. But <laughs> but that, yeah, that Adidas contract was the first thing that in my parents' mind, I think, was like, oh, he, he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. maybe. And like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, let's, uh, let's, let's like kind of. It's kind of like give him the room to explore this and like really see if he can create something out of it and not, you know, right. parentally judge. Yeah, yeah. So you got a lawyer for those contracts. Yeah. So I got one of my best friends growing up. His dad is a lawyer. Uh-huh. So that like this is how close it all is. You yeah. Know, it was. It's like I didn't go get. Like, he's a professional lawyer for mm-hmm. sure, but I didn't go like find a fashion lawyer or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just like, but oh, you just got to get the one whatever resources exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. um, you also don't want to just like sign too quick and then give away too many of your rights, you know? So, compl- so that's the other thing is between the time we got the contract and we got it signed was another probably three months mm-hmm. of back and <laughs> of forth. Back and forth. Yeah, yeah. And I remember feeling like, wow, like, this might not happen. Yeah. And just feeling like I just need to, I just need to suck it up and sign this right <laughs> now. And totally. thank it's God a, that's where it's like a poker game. Yeah. Because Adidas is like, all right, bro, you don't you don't like our contract? All right. Yeah. You know? And yeah. you're like, no, I I, I want to do this. And I had older and wiser people in my ear saying, you know, trust me, like be patient. Like it'll work, you know, it'll work out. Like they're not gonna blow this up over th- this or yeah. whatever. But I could totally but, imagine you telling the lawyer, like, no, 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 it's cool. Like, yeah, don't bother them. I did, I fully <laughs> did. I was like, Can I just can I just yeah. sign this? Like, <laughs> this is this is plenty, this is great. This is fine. Yeah, this will do. Yeah. <laughs> this will keep us going for a while. <laughs> right, Let's right. Just, That's awesome. It's, it's, it's just more important for me to design. Than, yeah, but it's good to yeah. have like the, the two voices in your ear about like just you know, reasonableness and like rationale. And I think that it was one of the more valuable lessons for me too, to just know like, okay, like sometimes you got to be patient. You got to have faith that it's going to work out and things don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, 
just the the process to get to the paperwork as you had mentioned like it didn't happen overnight the contract didn't happen overnight mm -hmm. it took there was like there were a lot of sleepless nights yeah <laughs> it was like is this gonna happen and then i think what the valuable thing was it taught me to learn to live with that discomfort mm -hmm. and so now like it's it, it's almost like that discomfort has become the norm yeah and i agree yeah i'm 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 super grateful for that. I think yeah. it's made me a, a more um, dynamic person mm -hmm. and a better business person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow! From an IG tag to an Adidas contract, I'm telling you, you never know what is possible. Luke's story is a perfect example of, on the one hand, putting yourself out there, but also putting in the work in between those pivotal moments. It took a year in between that fateful DM and the signing of those contracts. Imagine how many countless designs could have been done. But you gotta trust the process. Look at Jerry Lorenzo and his Nike collection. In his episode, he shared with us that it took two years to formulate. I'm glad Luke is able to touch on this experience and is trying to figure out how to sign on that dotted line. Developing a relationship with a brand, or more importantly, keep people in that brand, it takes time. And when that talk of collaboration is on the table, these are business decisions that you have to ultimately make that affect your brand integrity, creative control, and financial freedom. Luke was smart with finding resources to help him really understand what he was getting into. I'm sure we would all love to do a collaboration. But unfortunately, many figure out the true terms of the deal after the signing and realize it probably could have been done a lot better. Remember, this game is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And slow and steady usually wins the race. So you also have a thing going with New Era, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that so came after? That came after, that came kind of in between our first and second uh, drop okay, with Adidas. Cool. Um, but that was, um, that was a three piece capsule. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was two 5950 fitted caps and a beanie, a yellow beanie that Masai is actually wearing. Oh, right you now. ever made that? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, and so that now you're like versed in legalese and contracts a little yeah. bit. So this was probably much easier. It definitely was. And also new era is a big company for sure, but they're not as big a moving giant as Adidas is. Mm -hmm. So it was a little easier to navigate following that one yeah, yeah. than just like jumping right into the deep end mm -hmm. with Adidas. <laughs> what other um, uh, special collaborations do you have coming up? Well, coming up, man, we have a lot actually. We have, I mean, the biggest thing, which is going to be holiday 19, is we have this collaboration with Stance Socks coming mm -hmm. out that I'm really excited about. Um, and I don't want to say too much and give it away, but we're working on a performance basketball sock. That oh, cool. I think is sort of the 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 jumping off point for that was to solve a lot of the issues that I had with basketball socks. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very personal project. Nice. And I'm I'm really excited about that and one. Stance is the one to do it with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Their resources are amazing. Just like they can, you know, they have now and we've gone down to their place in um, San Clemente mm -hmm. a few times. And it's just like their facility is the coolest thing ever. They have this, they have a sock factory in the facility so they can just pump out socks like on the right spot. There, yeah. Then in addition to that, they, 
they have like a full basketball court that the NBA built them when they have the NBA license. So we go out there and every time we're there, we're like, we're like, yeah, yeah, like let's get through the meeting so we can go shoot. <laughs> I hate you LA guys, man. You guys can build full basketball courts in offices it's and great. like full skate parks like inside of offices. Well, they're in San Clemente. So it's like, it's like an the hour. Boonies. Yeah. But it's, it's totally my speed. Like, yeah you know, hopefully one day we'll get to that level and mm-hmm. I would love to put us out. It's kind of just like out somewhere where we're a little separated from the craziness of it all. Yeah. Um, I think it gives a nice perspective. So you, you have a lot of collaborative projects coming, but how's the like quote unquote inline collection? Like you're, you're off the calendar. So how Completely. often do you drop product now? Yeah. So we try to drop product every month. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, it's a challenge and we get, we're a three man team. So we get pulled in so many different directions. So like we had this whole release calendar set up yeah, for a plan. Mo- yeah. For March. And, okay. and it was going to be, March has passed. So March has passed. How, how'd you do yeah, it? So we were supposed we were going to, we were like, <laughs> all right, January, yeah. <laughs> okay. January, February, March. Products, collabs, moments, yeah. meetings, like map out. That's dope. At the start of the year, we all left, took a break, came back and we're like, yeah, we yeah, so we had like about four to five new styles that we were gonna launch in March and we were really excited about and multiple colorways. And um I was really excited because it was like a it was a new exploration of sort of this design language that I feel like we've created mm-hmm. and that people are starting to know us for. And I was, you know, excited to show them what the next iteration of that would be. And then like as we're about to gear up for production on it. Adidas hits us and is like, we have this event at Coachella and Mm -hmm. we don't have the, like, we can't pull it off in the timeline that we need with our factory. So Mm -hmm. we need you to make 200 basketball jerseys and 20 elevated basketball jerseys for the talent at this event. And we're like, okay. (laughs) You ain't saying no to that. Yeah. So like, I guess... I think the one thing I want our (laughs) our fans and our followers to know is like, you know, we're very much a small team. So Mm -hmm. like we might have all these plans to do these things. And then something like that comes along an opportunity like that, which is quite frankly, really exciting. Yeah. And then it becomes for us weighing like a business decision and also just like, you know, what makes sense at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, So we ended up, we ended up doing that for them and we're executing that. And I'm super excited because we got to make like personal jerseys for childish Gambino, uh, little Dickie, uh-huh. um, Trey young, um, push a T. Oh my God. And this guys, is so. like, yeah, the people are going to have sort of seeing your logo yeah. now is insane. And I, and I also just kind of like on a, on a selfish level, like wanted to be able to design for these people that I mm-hmm. think, are at the forefront of culture you yeah, know, yeah. And that I, that I appreciate and I admire and I look up to mm-hmm. for various reasons. And so, so how delayed are you now on the, <laughs> on the calendar? <laughs> so now it will probably be realistically, it will probably be like end of April, uh-huh. early May. Yeah. Hope yeah. like, hopefully if assuming we don't get pulled in another direction, but, right. um, yeah. Word. Okay. So, um, looking into the future a little bit now, um, I always like to ask people like what, cause you're a young brand, you're still trying yeah. to figure a lot of stuff out. What would you say are some of like the challenges that you have right now? The biggest challenges you have. Biggest challenges. Any I, of you can chime in. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I mean the immediate thing that jumps to mind 
Well, there's a few things. I think the first thing is being such a small team. Um, our roles get uh, get muddled sometimes. Blended. Everyone's yeah, doing everyone's everything. everything. And so Masai's technically PR and social media, Mm -hmm. which means he's also production manager, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but that's not in his title. Yeah. Jake is marketing and operations, but he's also like our legal team right now, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and looking at contracts and, you know, and I'm creative director, but I'm, you know, running errands for production too. And I'm designing and, um, you know, I'm negotiating business contracts as well. So, so if you could make one hire right now and money's no object, you could hire this person to do this. What would that job be? Man, that's usually money's no object. Yeah. Money's no object. Let's get the right guy in. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, yeah, I think what I've, and this isn't true for everybody, but what what I feel like is true for me is I really like working with people that I that I know mm-hmm. on a deep level, mm-hmm. and that beyond anything, I trust their character. Yeah, um, less their resume and, and yeah. skill set. And I've you know I've worked with now a good amount of people uh, just in this business and mm-hmm. whatever, and and I find that the thing that like re- like even if you don't have the skills that maybe I wish you would have in that moment, yeah. I, I know that if I trust your character and you're willing to to listen and also communicate with me mm-hmm. that together we can figure it out yeah. all out, you uh-huh. know? And so I think that, yeah, probably like my next hire would just be, I've, he said Jay, cause he's like one of my good friends <laughs> from back home, but it probably would be, it would be someone who, uh-huh. <laughs> who, like I said, I trust their character and they're multidimensional and they have a great attitude and they're willing to do whatever it takes because that I think at the stage of the business that we're at right now is it requires people to work off hours, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be on call whenever we need yeah, it and to be all yeah. in yep. and to sort of wrap their identity in this brand mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it takes a very special person who's willing to do that. Right, right. But I think long-term... I definitely would be curious to, I don't know if it's higher, but work with someone that I feel like has a little bit more experience than all of us. Because mm-hmm. just quite frankly, I'm the oldest one here. I'm 26, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm the first to say, like, I have a lot to learn, mm-hmm. you know? I think about where I started and where I am now, and it's just like night and day. And I know that in five years from now, it will just be another night and day difference. Yeah. Um, so I think that, having a having like a maybe it's a few even mentors mm-hmm. that can really like kind of help me guide the ship and maybe not make certain mistakes or yeah. whatever would yeah. be super would be invaluable if you could go back 5 years and tell your 21 year old self like if you could give him advice what would you say to him oh man i would say on the one hand i would say I would say it sounds super cliche, but I would say like, like continue dreaming big, like don't sell yourself short. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to be whatever that brand is in your head, like aim for that, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think that's the only thing that will keep you going. Like, like if you have a North Star to sort of point to, like that's super important. And then on the other hand, (laughs) I would say like, you know, 
be conservative. <laughs> like, you know, don't spend money at any point if you don't have to. And if you can't think of like what that return is going to be, don't spend it. And even if it's not necessarily a monetary return, but, you know, a return can be like, you know, the eyeballs and the connections that we'll get out of this will be valuable mm-hmm. and that's worth the money, then okay. But if like, you know, I think a lot of the things that I got caught up on early was like, De- like I spent so much, so much of this money, like developing styles mm-hmm. that just never ended up making it to market. Yeah. Um, so save, save those pennies. Yeah. yeah. Were you also spending on like just dumb shit, like personal stuff? No, no. I, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if this is great to say, but I'm really cheap. Like <laughs> I, you know, to this day, I am still, I'm still living at my girlfriend's parents' house. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have a cottage in the back in yeah. Santa Monica and I uh-huh. live there with that, with uh-huh. my girlfriend. Um, and when I was starting this, I was living with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of, I've been very conscious of like my personal spending cause i put the brand first yeah 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 and you know that's that is what it is right so um, you meant when when you're talking to your young self you meant even be like yeah savings on the company as well yeah yeah i think the thing that maybe personally i could cut back on is like spending money on food like you love food (laughs) yeah like i like I really enjoy going out with these guys and like having a conversation over a meal, yeah, you know, yeah. and then you add it up and you're like, Oh great, great. We spent $70. Like uh-huh. that's just gone. But I don't know. No, to me, that's a necessary expense as well. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, I think that the, the, the bonding that comes out of that mm-hmm. and the, the, um, the way we get to know each other right. and the friendship that develops is, is, is amazing. And even, you know, something that we do like, I've, I've known Messiah since we were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. We met each other playing basketball, like mm-hmm. almost fighting each other because he thought he was better than me and I thought I was better than him. Yeah. And then Jake... Who is better? I'm better, obviously. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to this day. You can, you can ask anybody that knows us. <laughs> no, but Jake and Jake is my younger brother's best friend. Okay. So he was always around too. Um and, you know, I think an emphasis that I put on all of all of us is like it's important that we really know each other on a deep level, like mm-hmm. I said, because there are certain things that, you know, Masai will do sometimes or Jake will do sometimes or I will do where if we don't understand who that person is, uh, like his fundamental level, then we sometimes are like take that the wrong way. Masai's totally. in a foul mood or something, or I'm in a bad mood. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. The Luke's, chemistry yeah, has to like, be right. Yeah. Like Luke's just doing that because, you know, maybe yeah, they, know, get done yeah, they know something about me that the average person doesn't know. Yeah, so yeah. I think just like team building is definitely something that I put a strong emphasis on all of us doing. Bristol Studio is a young brand made up of young minds. But how do they stay on the trajectory that they're on and have long-term success? Yes, they are a slim team that wears many hats, but the perspective that Luke leads is key here. A lot of brands fly blindly, and in turn, a lot of brands come and go. They believe in what they're doing. They want to use the brand as something for the community. They've structured themselves to the best that they can with the resources that they have. But more importantly, they recognize what they need in order to take that next step. They want team members who can share a stake in what they're creating. They want to add to that chemistry a purposeful approach to funding. 
with mentors to help guide them along the way. This doesn't just pertain to an apparel brand. These are all areas that successful companies continue to refine. They're able to find that time and energy to work on important aspects of their brand that are not directly related to what they offer. So, for example, team outings won't make Luke a better designer in the technical sense, but it will help him and his team understand each other better. And that perspective might lead to better ideas, which might make Luke a better designer. The answers to success are very often not found in the most obvious places. So what are some of the, the objectives for the next year or two for you? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the biggest things for us is further educating, one, the audience that already knows us, and two, also just educating properly you know, the, the new people that come in to sort of admire and watch our brand. And... You know, I think that the space that we're in is definitely crowded at times mm -hmm. and $185 sweatpants aren't necessarily the easiest sell. But for us, we really truly believe that our product is unique mm -hmm. and that, you know, the reason they're $185 is they're cut and sewn in downtown Los Angeles and that, you know, we mill this Terry custom ourselves to a heavyweight specification that nobody else has mm -hmm. because I was obsessed, as I mentioned before, with with weight and and just like weight is so closely attached to how that fabric drapes. Right. Yeah. So it had to be the right weight. And then. On, an, on another design level, it's like most of the stuff we do is reversible. So mm -hmm. in a way, I mean, we're not trying to deliver you two garments for one. That's yeah. not like our message or whatever. It goes back to basketball, as I mentioned earlier, like reversible practice jerseys mm -hmm. or flipping things inside out was part of the culture and the yeah. style. But that's another added thing. You don't know how many fights I've had with factories who are just like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going <laughs> to sew it one, one side and then completely flip it inside out and damn near do the same thing over yeah. again on the other side. They're just like, sorry, take that elsewhere. So oh. just to find the person who's willing to do that at the price that like we're able to make work right. is a challenge. Um, and then beyond that, I think in the next year, two or three years is a lot of what we're trying to do as a brand goes far beyond product. Yes, the product is great and we stand by it, but we want people to be able to experience our brand who maybe can't afford $185 sweatpants or an $80 t-shirt. You know, and I think for us, that's like being involved in the community. That's mm -hmm. using basketball in a meaningful way to reach people and to educate them about our brand and create a moment that's, that lives beyond the transaction, Yeah, you know? Um, and so something that, you know, it's not just about buying the clothes necessarily. completely. Yeah. It's about, I hate the word because it's used so much, but it's about like creating a genuine connection with people mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of ex just meeting them in person, explaining to them why we do what we do and why that's important to us and, um, why we care about it so much. And the way that that manifests itself is by creating events for the community. So mm -hmm. something that we did in the last few months was we created this, what we called a concept center in downtown. Um, we rented out this space for about four months. And we, in addition to it being a retail space, we just did things for the community. Like we, we held a really cool concert, for example, with this up and coming musician, Amalu. Mm -hmm. um, and there's no, like, we didn't slap our, like, it wasn't about slapping our brand all over it and, and making people recognize that. It was really just like 
we want to help sort of shape the cultural moments that are happening in our city and um, doing things like that and bringing people in and giving them memories is a way to do that. Yeah. And even if they don't necessarily walk away with like Bristol studio plastered in their mind, I think that eventually word gets around and it's like, Oh yeah. Like it was, yes, Bristol they, thing, yeah, yeah, they make cool clothes, but they're also doing these cool events and stuff. And I think that, you know, I try and put myself in the shoes sometimes of not just the customer, but just like the average person that we're mm-hmm. trying to reach. And I think that that's an experience that I would appreciate. So I think for us, it's about creating more of those moments for people. Um, so I guess if I were to sum it up, it's just like, what does our brand look like beyond just product? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you. It was really yeah. fun. I appreciate it. Yep. All right. Good luck with everything. Thank you. Okay, thanks for listening to this episode with a young entrepreneur and designer, Luke Tadashi of Bristol Studio. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment and give us a rating. Tell us what you think about the show. It definitely helps out a lot. Also, spread the word. Tell a friend. Put it on social media. You know what to do. We also occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over on Twitter. I am at Jeff Staple. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpera and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded at Sibling Rivalry Studio and on location at the Staple Design Headquarters in New York City. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Beast Radio. Hi.